Welcome to another episode of PropCast, a property podcast that aims to educate, inspire, and engage property investors. We are your hosts, Dami Shinobala and Bimbala Osaige. Hey, Bim. Hi, Dami. How are you? I am good, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm in between good and not so good, actually. <laughs> so I don't know if I told you, my, one of my tenants, long-term tenant, been around for six years, left the property, which is good. So I was happy for them. They, they bought their own property, first-time buyer and all. But they freshed the oh, house. Oh, Lord. I'm beginning to think that all the profit I made in six years, <laughs> I'm having to spend it now to redo up the property. But yeah, so that that's that. I'm not too excited. I, initially, I was I was I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, I'm just gonna renovate the house a little bit, make it nicer, blah blah blah. And then now I'm thinking, gosh, I'm spending too much. But hey, the joys of being a landlord, eh? Indeed. Were you doing regular inspections? Uh, not so much. Okay. <laughs> so maybe lesson learned. <laughs> <laughs> keep inspecting so that you don't leave them to it but i know when when tenants have been in a property for a long time you tend to build up that trust and think that they'll look after the property yeah. but so what are we talking about today bim well we've got a guest today so we're gonna be looking at first time buyer opportunities and everything that a first time buyer needs to know actually i think it'll be good to um a lovely guest to take us into that world Cool. So we've got Mr. Topsy Taiwo. Topsy, when you look at his Instagram, you're bound to crack crack up smiling because he's he's a dancer, he's a comedian, he's uh, into property, and I just love him. I, I love uh, watching his his uh, his skits that he does. So welcome in, Mr. Topsy Taiwo. <laughs> Thank you very much for that intro. Um, I'm flattered. I I would definitely take those accolades of dancer. Yeah. I think I'm probably the first dancer slash comedian slash property expert there's ever been. So I'll definitely take that. But yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Own it as well. Own it. <laughs> I, d- I definitely think so. The the skit you did with the uh, with the estate agents just cracks me <laughs> up every time. <laughs> oh, that was e- that was easy for me because I used to be one, so that wasn't even really acting. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you. Uh... <laughs> So that was oh. a re- that was a real real life scenario. <laughs> yeah, that was just me playing out something that definitely happened before. Oh wow, wow, wow! No, that was uh, that was real cool. So yeah, make sure you check out his Instagram. You're bound to laugh, you're bound to smile, and you're bound to leave somewhat educated as well. Because in in the midst of all those, he's always dropping gems. So yeah, so welcome to Propcast, Topsy. Thank How you, you been? Me? Yeah, I've been good. I've been good. Trying to stay sane during lockdown trying to keep myself active not just sat at home you know trying to go on those daily walks but it's been hard it's been hard this third lockdown is definitely hitting different it is i mean i don't know you guys realize that it's almost a year we've been in lockdown yep it's gonna be a year on mother's day (laughs) it's feeling like a it's feeling like a prison sentence honestly it's just been yeah it's been stressful but then again you've got to be grateful you've got a roof over your head mm. you've got food yeah being grateful and having gratitude that's definitely something i'm actually trying to do more so every morning one thing one change i made at the beginning of this year is just to sort of have a sort of ritual and you know having gratitude and praying is definitely on that list so that's definitely helped throughout this this third lockdown 
Awesome. Well, hold on, Totsi. I was looking when I was looking at your Instagram um, page earlier today. I saw that you were living it up in Dubai during um, in December, right? I did. I did. I was. It was dancing in Dubai as well, you know. <laughs> you to expose, but don't, this was before. This was before the rules came into play. So I was there and I timed it perfectly, where everything wasn't as bad as wasn't as strict as it is now. But yeah, I had to do a little holiday. I had to do a little one. I couldn't go. To, I couldn't go to Nigeria, so I had to go to Dubai instead. Well, some of us have been here <laughs> since March the twentieth in lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you do what you got to do, man. You do what you got to do. Oh, exactly, exactly. So tell us a bit about yourself, Topsy, and your background and kind of how you've come to, I guess, where you are. So yeah, just give us a bit about your story and background. Yeah, sure, sure. So I graduated university in 2012. I uh, wasn't entirely sure about what I wanted to do. I had failed to get into the big banks like all my friends, your Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley. And I wasn't able to get into any of the professional services firms like Ernst & Young, PwC, KPMG, Deloitte. So I thought, okay, what am I going to do in my life? So I just applied to the first job I saw on Milk Round and it just so happened to be a big estate agent in London. And I managed to secure the job even before my exams were done at university. So I went along and did that. And I didn't really know what the company did. I knew it was involved in property somehow. And then six years later, I found myself at the same at the same company. And my reasons for joining changed over time because initially it was just about getting money. They were going to give me a free company car. And yeah, it was just a great opportunity to get a good job straight out of university. But over time, I grew a passion and grew a love for property and managed to get one of my own properties myself within two years of working there. And then really just wanted to try and build and build. But for the last two years, I've really focused on the tech side of the business. I looked at my trajectory of staying in that company versus my trajectory elsewhere. And I was always very curious and passionate about learning more and more. And I felt my learning curve was always going to be stifled if I'd stayed at the at the estate agency so for the last two years i jumped around a few prop tech startups but then most recently i've set up my own platform uh property purchaser which provides knowledge advice and guidance to first-time buyers and property investors through uh, a number of different ways and i feel like all of my skills and experiences i've picked up has allowed me to start this platform alongside everything else that i do uh, but yeah alongside that i also I'm really passionate about creating content, you know, presenting ma- massively want, you know, potentially a slot on a TV show or a radio show at some point and really want to push that as much as I possibly can. So yeah, that's my journey, uh, quite varied and definitely headed in the right place now after a lot of self-discovery. Awesome. Awesome. So um, PropTech, tell us about PropTech because this is where you're combining technology and property together and providing services for the the like you said first like first time buyers and consumers and so on and so forth right correct correct so yes quite a broad term and you know you'll find it's applied to the financial industry fintech agriculture agritech medical medtech and property has always been quite late to adopt technology it's just always been such an archaic industry in so many different ways so within the last two three four or five years you've seen a lot of companies spring up all with one sort of common denominator sole aim, and that's really to improve the efficiency within the industry, whether that's through the provision of data 
whether that's through the provision of being able to take pictures faster or produce floor plans quicker or in a number of different ways. So the prop tech companies I worked for were predominantly in the data space. One of those companies being realized who provide data on mass scale to institutional professional investors or large companies and also a company called Home Search, who again provide data, but to uh, small to medium sized enterprises. And I've always been fascinated about data, especially within the property industry, because there's so much of it nowadays and how you can use that, whether you're an investor or a first time buyer is, is massive to make a more, to, to try and make a more informed decision on eventually what you end up buying anyway. So yeah, I think the property industry is, you know, great. It's still massively growing. And I think over the next four or five years, we're going to see some real leaps in, in technology that are going to improve the industry for everybody. You know, And I think one of the last things I'll finish on with that is that it just takes so long for a property transaction to go through. And I just think that it shouldn't. And I think at some point we are going to get to a stage where you know the transaction times eventually come down. I'm not entirely sure what that product will look like, but I'm, I'm quite passionate about that happening. Yeah, now I've spoken to a few investors and companies who are looking are actively looking to do this um actively looking to build a product that will allow the reduction of time it takes to it takes to yeah transact a property um, because it can take anything up to you know from from two three four months depending and especially right about now it's taking even longer right so um yeah no so i think definitely you're right that the 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 industry is needs needs a revolution somewhat definitely definitely i look at you know i look at other transactions in other countries the other day i was speaking to my my in-laws in in the states and you know when i watch programs in this i watch you know million dollar listing a lot and you know when they talk about um the, the whole process like properties people that are buying properties within two weeks three weeks and i'm like it, it takes three weeks to even get my solicitor here in the UK to be engaged. It takes three weeks to even get the bank to decide on what valuation, what surveying company they're going to send out to, to the survey. Like it's ridiculously too long a process here in the UK. So I think that will be a much, that's, a, that's really a much needed uh, improvement um, in, in the, in the UK. We need to get that process really um cut down you know there's no reason why anything should take any more than four weeks maximum so yeah i'm, I'm rooting for anyone that would come up with a solution definitely definitely i think it's just about you know getting it right i think a lot of companies have tried to do it but i think the success of a lot of companies or the success of anyone trying to solve that problem sometimes just come down uh, comes down to timing i think you know, some of the reasons as to why some of the biggest companies in the world now have done well is because they were timed right. And I, I actually quite like the example of a Google. You know, there were 14 different search engines before Google came along. Why did Google work? And I think it was down down to timing. And I think we're in the, we're, we're at a time now where people want it. You know, little things like coronavirus have just exposed the fact that, you know, when things like this happen, everything has to shut down and it just takes longer. So I think it'll be a great uh, company that's timed right, that will be able to successfully solve that problem. Yeah. And um, I'm reading a book called Oversubscribed by Daniel Priestley right now. And um, he, one of the companies he mentioned was Google. And what, what, so you said, you mentioned that there were 14 other search engines and he was explaining the, 
the thing that those other search engines did was when you when you went on them so you had like arx jeeves you had yahoo and all these other search engines because they were all they were all uh what's it called they were all fighting for like screen space in terms of fitting loads of different adverts onto their onto their search engine load pages so it used to take ages to load and what google did not only was it timing, but they came and simplified the search page. So they just stripped it oh. naked of any ad. So it would load quickly. And as soon as they came in, okay, it didn't make the money to begin with, but because of its simplicity, because of its quick, uh, you know, quick load times, people just jumped into Google and the rest is history. So that timing simplification, which is what we're talking about here in the property industry and just speed, just you know, it took Google to, to what it is today. So, um, interesting. So your, your focus is mainly on the first time buyers market in terms of where, where you, you know, look to serve people, right? That's right. Indeed. Um, I've sort of deliberately chosen that as well, because I feel that's where a large portion of the market is. I also think Mm-hmm. I can also relate better to that market, you know, being a millennial myself and having a lot of friends and peers who are going through that process at the moment, or at least wanting to go through that process. I felt that it would be a, a good thing for me to do to try and provide as much help to that market as I possibly could. So that's really my main purpose for doing it. And to go to go slightly deeper as well, um, definitely for the black community, because home ownership rates amongst the black community are so low appalling appalling, appalling. not just low it's appalling specifically for the yeah. Afri- for specifically yeah. for africans as well i think it's mm-hmm. 20 percent mm-hmm. a home ownership 20. rate the last time i was reading yeah yeah 20 percent. it's it's heartbreaking that when i read the day that i saw that stat i kid you not i had a tear in my eye i'm like oh my god this is really bad this and i actually did a post on it as well it's really bad so yeah well yeah for sure and look there's some reasoning and some explanation behind it in the fact that we probably migrated here slightly later but then you also look at some other ethnic groups who have also migrated to this country later and their home ownership rates are also still quite high so I definitely feel like there's potentially a knowledge gap but also things outside of our control that haven't allowed those home ownership rates to increase but I do think the tide is changing and you know the second generation are not only more educated but also more economically empowered and our eyes are a bit more open because of the internet basically um to being able to get on the ladder as soon as possible even though you know the house price to wage and earning ratio is at its widest point it's ever been I do think things look more positive than negative so long as we have that constant um education and constant need for knowledge 100 percent, 100 percent. so um tell us about the the market then in terms of what's going on uh from a if if a first time buyer is coming into into the market looking to to buy what what are they going to find at the moment oh it's a good question <laughs> it's a good question you you probably know just as well, you guys definitely know just as well as i do uh 2020 was a very interesting year wasn't it 100 percent. So, uh, yeah and i i think sort of first time buyers have faced quite a few challenges haven't they within the last year on the off of the backdrop of lockdown mortgage lenders one big thing that they did which impacted the first time buyer market was remove a lot of those high loan to value products from their offering and there was a stat i was looking at slightly paraphrasing but at the beginning of the year i think it was around march there were about 750 
loan to value products at 90%. By September, that number had dropped down to less than a hundred. So, and and with those products that were available, the interest rates had also been hiked up as well. Yeah. So the choice of mortgage products was so low for first time buyers. Mm. That being said, house prices increased by record levels last year. But what wasn't talked about was the driver of those house prices was more so by the home mover market and arguably investors buying second homes because they were also benefiting from the lower stamp duty rates as well. So yeah, the first time buyer market was pretty difficult last year. However, things are definitely looking more positive now. Interesting. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of um, more like products, as you said, were pulled, meaning that people would then have to put more money down in order to get onto the market and in what was already a challenging environment to get on. So it was kind of like a, it just, yeah, a, a, a terrible cycle in a sense for, for the first time buyer. So would you say uh, are products coming back now into the market? They are, they are. And I'm currently going through the process, as I've told you, Dami, of buying a house right now at a lower, at a low loan to value rate. And if I'd waited a bit longer, I probably would have been able to get a better rate with a more reputable lender, but that's by the by. But yeah, product choice is definitely coming back. I was just reading earlier in the week um, on Money Facts, who provide a lot of good information on the mortgage market, letting us know that we're going back to the same levels of product choice that we saw towards the beginning of last year, albeit those rates aren't at the best rates we've seen. However, lenders are becoming a bit more uh, comfortable. And when they become a bit more comfortable, competition increases. And who knows, we might even see the return of 95% loan to value as well. Maybe even 100% loan to value like it was back 2007. Oh, yikes. That, 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 that was just for... Uh, so you're buying a house for free, basically. Wow. That was... Uh, yeah, people were enjoying before 2008, man. People Hell were just you. taking houses on 100% mortgages. And then, of course, like, you know, the repercussions, but I'm sure the savvy ones would have benefited so much more. I put my hands up. Oh, were you, were you one of the savvy <laughs> ones? Were you? Been? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely one of the savvy ones. It wasn't, it wasn't a, um, it wasn't even a hundred percent mortgage. I think it was like ninety five. Like the other day, I was looking. There's a property that I sold last year, so I'm trying to go through, you know, how much did I purchase this property and how much did I be. So I, I pulled up the completion statement for when I did the purchase, and this was like a few years, um, I don't know, thirteen years back. When I looked at how much deposit I paid, I was like, what? That's all I paid? <laughs> yeah, it was almost like 100% mortgage. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing about um, opportunities, right? When things come up, you just got to be very savvy and grabby because you just never know when it when goes off the market. But anyway, I don't think 100% mortgage should come back. I think that is way too risky. And I, I doubt that any, any lender will be looking to do that. I agree. I agree. I, I think that's probably uh, a bad move uh, for mm-hmm. the market if we've got people leveraged that highly. Don't get me wrong. Leverage is a great thing and a great tool for investors, but in the hands of the wrong person, very dangerous. <laughs> very, very dangerous. Yeah. Uh, excellent. Yeah. So what's going on with stamp duty, Topsy? What's, uh, are we going to have an extension or is it oh. coming to an end? <laughs> You tell me, you tell me. That's, um, that's some crystal ball stuff. I get, look, you guys are investors. And I'm sure you would definitely welcome a stamp duty extension for as long as possible. And yeah, as you probably know, it was debated amongst MPs a couple of weeks ago. And I believe there was almost a unanimous decision amongst them to say that it should be extended. 
but we'll probably not get a decision until the next budget, which is at the beginning of March. Um, look, the arguments yeah. to extend it are valid, but I also think there are valid arguments not to extend it. I just think that the stamp duty holiday was a bit of a premature policy change because there was already steam in the market when they did that. And I don't think they expected as much steam in the market, but because they had made their decision to do it, they just had to run with it. And mm. now they're at a stage now, if they extend it any longer, the amount of money that the government will miss out on from those extra stamp duty receipts is just huge. And they're going to have to start recouping some of the money that they've pumped into the economy in some way. And I think stamp duty is definitely one of those things. So from the moment they started doing the whole bounce back and we knew that it's coming. We know it. In fact, we know it's coming. So, yeah, let's wait for this new announcement. But I don't know. I as an investor, I um. I, I yeah I I don't mind the extension I don't mind the extension being moved to maybe maybe a couple more months just let me just get a couple more properties. <laughs> yeah. So how many people are thinking like that? Like, you know, just 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 a couple of months and you know. Yeah, just yeah, just, yeah, just a couple more months. I mean, no, because it depends. And sometimes you're doing all these big transactions. Like seriously, the this the, when the stamp duty um was increased a few years back, 2016. I remember that when it was. Obviously, I was again trying. I, I was pushing to complete a sale just before the the change, and I did. But then after that, I just kind of slowed down a bit because you know every time I thought about the additional ten, twenty, sometimes even up to twenty thousand pounds of stamp duty. Obviously, depending on how much your purchase price is, I was like, "Whoa, that is just way too much money." to give to the yeah. government but then after a while we kind of got used to it and it just became you just factor it into your calculation um so when the break came it was so refreshing i was like ah thank god we don't have to pay so much so yeah, yeah maybe just a couple more months mr chancellor <laughs> we'll see but i just i I'm, I'm not holding out for anything positive to be honest so if you're in a mm. state if you're, if you're a first-time buyer or, or, or an investor to be honest who's got that deadline looming you need to make sure you've got a good solicitor and a bank that doesn't take their time yeah, yeah time yeah. time is of the yeah, time is of the essence that. now so mm-hmm. so in your in your kind of um target market which is first-time buyers what's the what's the best way for a first-time buyer to get on the ladder like what advice would you would you provide to first-time buyers looking to get in yeah, sure, sure. Um, the the very first thing I was tell, well, even before that actually, is um, and it's a bit of an esoteric higher higher level point, but understand your why for doing it. And it sounds mm-hmm. a bit contrarian to say on a property podcast, but home ownership it's not for everybody. Like there's there's different ways in which you can live your life, and there's different ways in which you can you know go about things. And if you wanted to be a renter for the rest of your life, you know. Fair enough. Do it if that's your style of living. So just first and foremost, understand your why. Um, educate yourself on the benefits generally of property. Understand why people invest in property and let that be the basis and the foundation as to, as to why you do it first and foremost. Um, secondly, before you go on right move, before you start looking on any platform, understand your, your affordability. I don't know why, but we all rush to right move. We wake up one day, we decide we want to buy a house, and the first thing we do is go and right move in Zoopla and start looking. That makes no logical sense. Mm-hmm. You have you have no idea what you can afford. So the second thing I'd always say is 
it's very easy to understand your affordability. There are online calculators, but the most prudent thing to do is to speak to a mortgage broker, give them your financials, mm-hmm. your outgoings versus your income, and they can give you a quick agreement in principle and get, give you an understanding as to what you can what you can afford. And then once you've done that, you are in a position once you've saved up and you've accepted what your budget is to, and you, and you understand where you want to live, then go out there and start looking. And there's so much advice and there's so many good things that you should do. But the first two things is understand your why and your affordability and then get out there and start looking. Um, one thing I'll say, cause there's so many things you could mention um, that first time buyers should do, but especially now is um, to understand that, the consumer consumer behavior is changing. I understand there's a lot of people who initially wanted to stay in their initial area, whether that was London or, you know, zone two, zone three, zone four, are finding that they can't afford or can't get what they want in those areas. But now everyone's working from home. And even after lockdown ends, I do think there'll be an element of permanent features of this lockdown where working from home will become more common. And I do think a lot of appreciation of, of prices will happen in the, suburban areas and you know northern cities so if you can try and get into those sorts of areas you might actually find you're paying a lot less money for the same property or you can get the same property or you can get a larger property or better quality property further out so that's all that's one thing i tell a lot of first-time buyers especially in london to do right now look further afield and you might get a much better deal yeah i appreciate you saying that actually because um i have similar conversations to my um first-time buyers as well um, and they really, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I actually get a bit frustrated with them because especially for those that live in London, you know, they live in zone two, zone one, perhaps maybe because they're renting or um, they, they stay with mom and dad in zone two, zone three. And, you know, they, they're used to the area, you know, rightfully so. And they ideally want to stay in that area again, rightfully so. But then I say to them, look, first of all, you need to f- check your affordability. It's not a case of, oh, this is where I want to stay. Or this is, you know, it's quite expensive. It's, can you afford to stay in that area? You know, can you do it by yourself? Or maybe perhaps you might want to do it with your siblings. But first and foremost, can you afford to stay there? And affordability is not just based on, oh, I make this amount of money and I can pay this amount of mortgage or rent, it does the bank think you can afford to stay in that area because you need to leverage off, unless you're paying in cash, if you need a mortgage, you need to speak to your bank, get that AIP to tell you if you, you know how much they're looking to, to, to borrow you. So if your bank is only able to give you 150,000 and you live in an area where house prices are 300,000, already you can see that you can't, it's impossible. So yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I think people need to understand, um, you really need to get an understanding of affordability. And then also don't think, don't just sit in, don't stop what you need to do just because you can't afford London. Go, yeah. you know, go to the suburb, go, you know, move out of London, go there, start there. And I say to people, look, start there. And once you build equity a few years down the line, you might even be able to you take that money and come back into London, you know, but you, you've got to start, you've got to be very realistic um, and take some practical yeah, steps. Definitely. Yeah, really and look, I think, one of the stats that I found really interesting after lockdown was lifted, the first lockdown that was, was that the two most searched locations on Rightmove in the country uh, were Watford and Milton Keynes. And that I found that really interesting because mm. a lot of those people searching were probably looking in London beforehand, but they said, actually, I've been stuck in this one bedroom flat or I've been stuck in this two bedroom home with my two kids, my dog. 
and I can't deal with not having any outside space of my own anymore or I can't deal with not having a third or fourth bedroom. And I think that spoke volumes that those are the two most searched locations across the country. And I think that trend is probably replicated in a lot of areas and a lot of major cities across the country as well. So for for a first-time buyer then, um, what are the government schemes available? What are the, you know, because there are quite a number of different schemes um, out there. Would you mind just give us like a summary? So if the first-time buyer was listening right now, what do they have at their disposal? Yeah, sure. I was actually just going to touch on that, actually, because that's definitely another thing that you should consider um, as a first-time buyer. Uh, There are a number of different government schemes available to you uh, that can help you get onto the ladder if you are struggling. Uh, BF, help to buy is probably the most known one, and that essentially allows you to benefit from the government giving you an equity loan in order to reduce your mortgage repayments and reduce the amount of deposit you can put down. So to elaborate on that, you would essentially need to put down, in most cases, a 5% deposit. The government inside London will give you up to a 40% equity loan, outside London, a 20% equity loan, and then you'll take a mortgage for the rest. So in London, that would be 5% as your deposit, 40% as an equity loan and a 55% mortgage. And what that can do is open up your options and the quality of property you can get to a much, much wider um, selection of properties. However, I said benefit loosely because there are some drawbacks of that scheme that you often find where the properties available on help to buy come with a new build or help to buy premium because developers know that they're marketing to a much wider audience. Hence, they know that they can probably get away with asking a higher price and there'll probably be an audience that will pay for it. So that's one scheme that you can go for. You've also got shared ownership, which essentially allows you as a, as a first time buyer to buy a share of a property, you know, sometimes as low as 25% and then pay a reduced rent on the portion that you don't own. Again, that's beneficial because it allows you to put down a very small deposit, essentially a deposit only on the share that you're buying. So it's a much easier entry onto the ladder and also the repayments are slightly easier. And then very lastly, you've got, you know, right to buy, uh, which is another government scheme, which essentially allows you if you are if you qualify and you're living within a council block or within a within a housing association, it it allows you to uh, purchase that property at a reduced rate. And I think the discount is up to around one hundred and twelve thousand three hundred in London. And you can use that discount as well. And so the beauty of right to buy as your deposit to buy a property. So I've seen some scenarios where people haven't even needed to have a deposit in order to get onto the ladder if they're living within a council block or a housing association and they qualify for that scheme. So yeah, a number of different things all probably coming with their own drawbacks. So be aware of them, but can also be really beneficial for those who excellent so can you clarify on the shared ownership is there like a because yeah is there like a almost like a sweet spot of how to handle shared ownership because i guess at some point it's going to it's maybe going to benefit the government more than it benefits you is that so like would you say for example someone who has gone into a shared ownership scheme they should look to maybe and buy out the government in the first, I don't know, two, three years or something like that. Is it, Do you find that, is there kind of like a sweet spot of, of what an investor, like a first-time buyer should do? Um, it's, it's a tough question to answer because I think, you know, it's very contextual for each person and it just depends on what that, what the long-term goal of that person or that person is. Um, but one, one thing I would say is that if you are going to buy 100% of the property, make sure that you do it not only as soon as possible, but make sure you don't stop halfway. 
because when you're trying to re- when you're trying to sell a shared ownership unit, the audience that you market to when you when you own you know a seventy five percent share is smaller. The whole reason why people want to buy shared ownership properties is because it allows them to put down a much lower deposit. So if you've got your seventy five percent share that you're trying to sell then people might as well just buy up to 100%, save up a little more and buy 100% share of the property. So I've seen in situations quite often that, you know, shared ownership properties aren't as um, easy to sell when they're at 75%. So for me, if there is a sweet spot, I think either decide to go to 100 or just keep your share at the same amount and know that you're going to sell your share in three, four or five years time once you've built up your pot of equity and once you've decided what you want to do next. But all in all, I think, it depends who you speak to. If you speak to 50% of people who are living in shared ownership units, they'll tell you it's the worst thing in the world. If you speak to the other 50% and they'll tell you it was an amazing way for, the, for them to get onto the ladder and buy a property in the place they wanted to stay in. So I think the ethos behind it is good, but there, is, there are definitely some questions about its execution. Yeah, so. and I think, um, as you said initially, the, the why, that's where the why is important. Um, I tend to, when people ask me this question about shared ownership, is it good, is it bad, and, and so on and so forth, you know, I just say, look, what is your why in terms of, if your why is, I just, I want to just get onto the property ladder, I, I, I just want to own my own home, um, I'm tired of renting, or I see the benefits of ownership, but I don't have as much money to get on there, obviously there's an opportunity there for you to to get on it, and then when you do, um, you can then, you know, navigate your way, as you said. So you might want to just get rid of it within three, four years. And then at least in that time, what you have done is you've built, um, well, first of all, you've improved your credit. You've built some sort of trust with a, with a mortgage lender. You've built, hopefully gotten some equity. And so your shares also grown in value. So there's so much, so there's a, ben- there's a benefit there. So I suppose just linking it back to what you said earlier, it's your why plays a very, very important part. And then what I tend yeah. to also say is with any of the scheme, which is the intention behind, um, so it's a case of looking at a glass half full or half empty. Yes, the, if the government or, or the banks, or any, if anyone was going to give you a help, helping hand, they, there's got to be a, a win-win for them as well. But if, you're just, if your focus is on, oh, is the government, you know, how much the government's going to make, da, 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 you know, what's the government taking, uh, the, the benefits of the government, then that's the wrong way of looking at it. You've got to look at it from, you know, have glass half full. Look, I'm, the, the, the whole point of the scheme is to help first-time buyers who ordinarily cannot afford to get on the property ladder um, to give them a helping hand. Because if you could, you wouldn't need the first-time buyer scheme. Um, so it's there to help, you know, so irrespective of what the government is making or the developers are making it's got to be a win-win for everyone so as long as it's your you know it's a win for you and you feel like this is what i would i want to do this this is the best scheme for me then you know just do it and you know and 100 percent. <clears throat> yeah go on I, th- I think i think the same applies to an investor as well you know understanding your why your long-term goal and working backwards from that is so important and now, I've struggled with that, and I know it's difficult sometimes to know exactly what you want long term, but it's better to at least have a good idea because if you just operate or you're taking each day as it comes, don't get me wrong, that probably is quite a fun way to live life, but you find that you don't really get anywhere because you haven't got anything to measure your movements or you haven't really got anything to measure your um, success by. So I think not just within property as a first-time buyer or an investor, 
Um, but just in just in life, I think it's helpful to have goals or a general idea of what you want to be and where you want to get to long term and then work backwards from that. It makes it much easier to make decisions. Like if you know you're going to end up in the US, then it probably makes sense to rent or, you know, get a shared ownership property where it doesn't take as long to get something you can call your own. But if you want to build up a portfolio and you want to invest and you want to have a solid grounding in the UK and you want to earn a certain amount of money per month, and you want to have a certain amount of uh, you know, pension at the end of everything, then you're going to need to have some specific plans in place. So I think, yeah, planning and understanding your why, having a goal, working back from it is crucial, not just in property, but in life. Mm. Amazing. So what's next for the dancer stroke comedic stroke property <laughs> guru? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't, well, it's funny because I've been talking about long-term goals and I, I, I don't know, <laughs> you tell me. Um, no, I think, yeah, like for me, um, I guess it might be a, a nice place to finish on, but for me, um, yeah, long-term, I, I, I've, I essentially want to be able to be in a position where I've got good passive income streams coming from property, um, also a good portfolio. You know, my strategy is slightly changing at the moment where I do want to have some passive income or some good cash flow, I should probably say, from property at the moment, as well as what I'm owning and what I'm buying. So that's definitely a platform that I, or a position that I'm building uh, from an income perspective, alongside other things that I'm also trying to invest in, whether that's stocks, shares, Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, that's on the financial side. You know, I definitely want to have that on, in my arsenal. From a, from a more personal achievement standpoint, you know, I definitely want to cre- continue creating more content. Um, continue using my platforms to educate, inspire, and entertain. That's my main goal, you know, using my platforms to educate, inspire, and entertain. And what that might mean in fruition is, you know, having my own radio show or having my own TV show where I can disseminate that information and that knowledge, but also entertain at the same time. So, yeah, maybe maybe something like location, 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 but a cooler version or, you know, things along those lines where I'm, you know, able to be on camera i'm able to be you know a voice that can speak to hundreds of thousands if not millions of people uh, inspiring educating and entertaining them so that's really my goal from a personal achievement standpoint and yeah hopefully alongside that i can have good cash flow and a good um property portfolio within the next within the next 20 to 25 years that's awesome. that's awesome i mean i think you're going to do it because you're everywhere you know, you've already, you're already on like BBC and things like that. So just keep moving in that direction. And uh, mm. I'm sure you'll be seeing yeah, Topsy in the yeah. TV show near you soon. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, the, the amazing thing as well is once you say, once you speak it into the, into the atmosphere, as they say, to the universe, it basically is going to come to pass. So yeah, we'll be here rooting for you. Oh, oh, and can we just book a slot now in your on your TV show, please? Can we have a slot? Uh, you guys are on. <laughs> by then, by then, I know Dami being. You guys are being very humble as well right now. I know you guys are planning and you're you're doing big things as well behind the scenes. But you keep it low key. But I, I see you. I see you. I see you. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So listen, we always ask our guests. Um, this question and it'll be a nice way to finish off so topsy what does what does property mean to you property to me means generational wealth Mm. and it means security it means safety and it means shelter so those are the first things and words that came to my mind 
And I think everyone should understand it plays a massive part in our lives. And even if you're not interested in it, it's something you should definitely be invested in because it provides all of those things I just mentioned previously. So yeah, property for me ultimately means generational wealth, security, safety, and shelter. Amazing. Amazing. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to say you mentioned something that really stuck with me actually, when you were talking about, um, um, first time buyer at home ownership amongst um, the black community and that's something that I have a, a, a passion for as well because I, you know, I, I work with a lot of um, um, I work with a lot of black people people like us um, doing joint ventures and just trying to get them into the property um, as investment um, so I definitely feel like we could do something um, you know we, we really need to help our people and just kind of and I think because it starts from education, right? So we, we really need to do something. Um, so I think we should organize something. I don't know what the something is, but I think we should think of something to do. Not a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think, you know, whether it's an initiative, whether it's content, mm. whether it's platform. Yeah, we can definitely talk about that. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Yeah, and we need to book a, we need to book a date for Clubhouse because we see you on Clubhouse every <laughs> time, every day. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I'll reach out to you as well. We we set up a a Thursday prop chat with Topsy. That's how you do it, man. 100%. Awesome. All right. Well, um, thank you once again, Topsy, for coming on to Propcast. We've enjoyed having you um, on on the show. Thank you to our listeners. If you've enjoyed it, if you, you know, if you've, um, if you've enjoyed listening to Topsy, do connect with him. Oh, that's one more thing, Topsy. If people do want to reach you, where can they find you? We'll put it in the show notes, but where can they find you while they're listening now? Thank you. Yeah, you, you can find me on most social media platforms at Topsy Taiwo. That's at T-O-P-S-Y-T-A-I-W-O. That's Instagram. That's Twitter. Just started a YouTube, growing that slowly. That's also TikTok, where you might find me dancing a little bit as well. And also Clubhouse as well. So that's where you can find me. Excellent, excellent. So if you've enjoyed it, please do share please do share with a friend um share with someone who can uh, find some of the information in you know that we've discussed useful and until next time bim thank you so for now. much thank you thanks Tucker. thank you for having me really enjoyed it thanks bye time see ya take care